Good morning, everyone. Well, as, you, as I said last week, for six years now, we've been doing this uh, difficult question series. Sit in the front row, get a present. Um, especially if I borrowed it from you, I'm returning it. So, so, so six, six years ago, or six years now, we've been doing this difficult question series where you, uh, you, know, you write difficult questions on cards and pass them in that you'd like to hear addressed in sermons in the coming months. And as I said, last time we did this, you all went bananas and, and sent in 129 difficult questions. So uh, I hope you brought your lunch with you because we got a lot to do. I, I split them into stacks to try to get them sorted into categories. I still got 26 different categories of questions. So, I, I, But one of the stacks was twice as big as the rest of the others, 18 questions about heaven and hell, every question difficult. So uh, that was still too much for one message. So last week we started a two-part message, which we called our tour of heaven and hell answering your difficult questions. And today we're going to continue in part two of that tour. So uh, let's begin. Last week we had made it just inside the gates. So I think we got a picture of some fancy gates there. And, uh, and we got this hors d'oeuvre tray out because a bunch of your questions were wondering... If we're inside the gates of heaven, and, and we said last week, you don't really think there's gates or a courtyard, but we're using it as a word picture. A lot of you had questions about, who else is here? Who else is here? So we got our hors d'oeuvre tray, and we're walking around, welcoming anyone else who may be here. And a couple of you had questions asking, what if everyone else is here? Might there not be anyone missing? Here's the question you actually asked. Are we all redeemed in the end when Jesus restores all? Another of you ask, if Jesus died for everyone, is it possible he will just allow everyone to be included in the new heaven and new earth? Now, when my answer to a question is going to be long, I like to just give the answer first to take away all the suspense of you wondering where I'm going with that, and then explain it. So here is the answer I'm going to give, and, and that is that many uh, good and Bible-believing Christians uh, believe that everyone is saved by Jesus and will go to heaven no matter what. Uh, however, I'm a little more old-fashioned, and I, I, and I don't believe that. So now, the explanation. The question was, if Jesus died for everyone, is it possible he'll allow everyone to be included in the new heaven and new earth? That is um, certainly a possibility. Christians who believe this believe in the sacrifice of Jesus so much, so much in his grace and his love that they believe it will destroy all sin. And fulfill the words in the Bible, nothing can separate us from the love of God. It's a good thing to believe that the grace of God is powerful and the love of God is all-powerful. But as I said, I'm a little old-fashioned. I still see a lot of warnings in Scripture of Jesus saying uh, at, at judgment, some will be cast into an outer darkness for ignoring the poor and oppressing widows and orphans. I still read in the Bible about the lake of fire for those who have persecuted the church and tormented the innocent. And I still believe, as I said last week, that love cannot be forced on someone, not even love for God. So that if you don't love God, whether you actively hate God or just politely ignore Him, He will not in the end force you to love Him and force you into His kingdom by waving a wand over you and changing you into someone else. Furthermore, I look at the world and I find it hard to believe that all the evils that are going on are being perpetrated by people who are really okay once you get to know them. Now, I might be wrong. 
But if you're asking me, Jesus will come again to judge the living and the dead. And I think even at that time, some will be saying, I don't want your forgiveness. I don't want your kingdom. I've been trying to tell you that my entire life. I've never bowed, and I won't bow now. Because, for a variety of reasons, but among them, there's still a lot of exploitative sex to be had. There's still a lot of power to be grabbed. There's still a lot of money to be made. Personally, you're not like any kind of God I ever would have thought of. And I'll be damned before I live eternally in a place, quite frankly, with all these dark-skinned people or all these infidels. And I'll never, ever play by the rules of some commie Jew carpenter from Nazareth who thinks we ought to share everything we have and love everybody. That's not the real world. And being a God who respects the freedom he has given, some will be damned just as they wanted. Living in a world, they always sought a one without God, without the people of God, without all that straight-laced, do-gooding compassion. So, in summary, many good Bible-believing Christians believe that everyone is saved and uh, by Jesus and will go to heaven no matter what, but... I happen not to believe that, and I don't think you'll ever hear that taught. But we can be in the same church, actually, and disagree about this question. Maybe I'll change your mind someday. Maybe you'll change my mind someday. If we can unite around that the good news of Jesus is worth sharing, no matter what the answer to this question is. The good news of Jesus is worth sharing because it sets people free now. It makes a fuller life and a richer life and a life closer to God now, no matter what the eventual question is. We can still rally and serve in the same church around that point. So, whoever's here and whoever's not here, we've got our hors d'oeuvre tray and we're walking around meeting them. And somewhere in this courtyard, we pass a mirror. And we look into the mirror and we wonder, okay, am I really here? Do I see my own reflection here? A lot of you ask these types of questions. Here's one of them. Will I go to heaven if I haven't been baptized? The answer is yes. If you believe in the things that the baptism points to, Christ, his resurrection, then yes, the water is an important symbol and a powerful symbol, but it is not magic water. So we have our baptism services here once a year. We go out to the lake, we dunk, we pray, we sing, we have a, a big celebration. And so you should go ahead and make it official. If you're a follower of Christ, join us and be baptized next June. I can't think of any reason not to. Jesus wanted all of his followers to take part in this powerful symbol. It's a big deal, and it's a wonderful deal. But if you become a follower of Christ in your home tonight, and you die in a car wreck before the baptism happens, you're fine. God is not uptight like that. One of you asked, if you don't say the sinner's prayer before you die, do you go to heaven? The sinner's prayer is something that came about in the revival movement of England and America, late 1700s up to the mid-1800s. The preacher would deliver a message mostly about our sin, our need to repent and turn to God. He would invite people to come forward. They would kneel and pray the sinner's prayer. If you haven't had one of those come forward and pray that prayer moments, the person's asking, can you still go to heaven? And the answer is, of course you can, without having to do that particular ritual. So long as you hold in your heart the things that a prayer like that says. That you and I would understand we are sinners. That we trust in the message that 
Jesus is giving us on the cross, that God wants to forgive us, that he came for us. The season we're about to celebrate is all about that. That we trust when Jesus gave his life that it took away sin. No one can judge us now, not even ourselves. Because the judge himself has shown us, I'm not here to condemn you, I'm here to save you. I'll give anything to bring you to me, even my own life. So long as we're turning our life over to Jesus' way, now and forever. And we invite the Holy Spirit to help us and to give us power to live a life for Jesus. And it's going to be a life of prayer. It's going to be a life of generosity. It's going to be a life spent in community with others. And it's going to be a life spent sharing this good news with the world. If that is all in your heart, there aren't particular magic words required. On the other hand, if you want to say a prayer like that today, you should do it. There's also nothing wrong with it. I'll say it with you after service if you like. After service, we have a coffee with pastors. I'd love to meet any of you who haven't gotten to meet before. It's just right outside those doors, about 10 minutes following the service. If you have a friend you've invited, we've never met, come introduce him. I'd love to meet you. And if you would want to say, I want to pray that prayer you were talking about. We can do that. I'll just ask you to... You know, have a seat for about 10 minutes while we meet the new people, and we'll come back here. The room will be empty. We'll go back to the prayer circle. And you can pray that prayer. There's nothing wrong with it either. A more sober question one of you asked as you approached that mirror. You said this. How do you know when you're living a Christ-worthy life? Because what if you think you are, and comes judgment day, and you get rejected? My answer is going to be that every Christian ought to do three things about this. Accept the reality that we aren't good enough. We aren't living a Christ-worthy life. Try each day to grow more in a life of Christ, but in in a peaceful way, not a panicky way, and plan to cling to the feet of Jesus. Now, the explanation. The reason why the questioner asked this is because Jesus puts this question to us in, a, in, a, in a, some words he said in Matthew 7. Here's Jesus and what he said. Not everyone who calls out to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Only those who actually do the will of my Father will enter. On judgment day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, we prophesied in your name. We cast out demons in your name. We perform many miraculous signs in your name. But I will reply, I never knew you. Get away from me, you who break God's laws. Cue the scary music. (laughs) These people believe they are serving God. They have done crazy spiritual things. And Jesus says, I don't even know who you are. And you break God's laws. Could that be me? I believe with all my heart I'm serving God this morning, answering questions for the people of God. Could I be breaking God's laws? The passage says yes. What are we going to do about that? I think there's only three things we can do. I think there's only three things we can do. This is what I'm doing. I invite you to join me. 
I'm accepting the reality that I'm not good enough. I can't live a Christ-worthy life. I probably won't be going, Lord, Lord, I've done awesome stuff for you. Let me show you my list. Nope, I'm not doing that. I'm trying to get in touch with how much forgiveness I'm really asking for. I really cling to that song we sing here every once in a while. It says, I'll never know how much it costs to see my sin upon that cross. And I'm trying to grow better every day in following the way of Jesus, learning what these God's laws are. But I'm trying to do it in a, I'm supposed to do it, in a peaceful and not a panicky way. Now, I get panicky, especially when I read Matthew chapter 7. I think, oh my gosh, I can clearly see after what I've done and especially what I haven't done, I've got to get to work. And so I go panic mode, right? And I try to serve way more than I should. And I try to give way more than I should. And I get all legalistic and I won't do this and I will do that. And, and I just get exhausted because I can't keep it up for more than a couple of years at a time when I go into that mode. And I always end up at the end of two years totally dejected and embarrassed and a fool. And I collapse back into the arms of God again. And I wind up saying, I am not a spiritual superhero. Lord have mercy and Christ have mercy. And I can only do what I can do every day in peace. Lord have mercy, Christ have mercy. And the third thing I invite you to do with me is plan to cling to the feet of Jesus. Here's what I plan to say when I see God. I was a miserable sinner. I don't need to tell you that. I tried to get it right, and sometimes I did. Some things I got right, and it changed radically, and it, it did, as you promised, make things better. Some things I tried to get right, and I never could get them right. And some things, quite frankly, I was too dumb to know that I had it wrong, so I never did try to get it right because I just was blind and missing it. But now I cling to the feet of Christ Jesus, whom I believe to be your son. And because of his sacrifice, I ask for mercy, God. What else are we going to do? What else can we do but that? And lo and behold, the gates open. The gates open and we are welcomed out of the courtyard into the city. Now again, I'm not saying heaven is actually a city with gates around it, but just for the word picture, because I want to talk about being a tour guide, so we have to have something to tour. So today, it's a city. Okay, so let me get my tour guide lanyard on, because a bunch of you had questions like, okay, I get who's there, but when we get there, what's it going to be like? What's it going to be like to be in heaven? Here's some of the questions that you asked. So, in Genesis, angels have sex with humans. Jesus said, in heaven we'll have the bodies of angels. So, what the heck? Sex in heaven? Do our bodies have female and male attributes? Whoa, whoa, whoa! Nice shooting texts. Okay. Um, that was just like Genesis to Matthew in two sentences. So, we're going to need to read our Bible more slowly to answer this question. I appreciate your excitement. Genesis chapter 6, verse 2. The sons of God saw the beautiful women, and they took all they wanted as their wives. Oh, any they wanted. Well, any or all, sure, I, we get the point. Naughtiness. All right. This is, comes from a very small story in Genesis, just a few verses. In fact, I wrote a paper on it in Hebrew because the story was so small, I'd be able to not have to translate a huge section to do it. Um... <laughs> The sons of God saw the women and took all they wanted. Uh, 
Hebrew scholars are not in agreement on whether that should be translated angels or not. It can be translated angels, and it certainly is in other parts of Scripture, but it's also just as likely that it was referring to warlords and tribal kings and things of that day. Every one of them who said, I am the son of God, and then they would run around and do whatever they want, like take everybody's wives. So this old, very short story in Genesis might be angels. It might just be, um, you know, self-styled sons of God, Pharaoh, and, and all these other guys who, who say, I'm divine, now give me your wife. Um, so we're not sure if these were angels. That's a big debate. We don't have time for it today. But I, let's keep going slow here. Up to, what'd they say? Jesus said we'd have the bodies of angels? Did he? Let's look at Matthew chapter 22. Jesus says, for when the dead rise, they, people, will, never, will neither marry nor be given in marriage. In this respect, they will be like the angels in heaven. So he was talking about marriage because somebody asked him this weird question, so he's just giving him a weird answer back. And he's saying, you, in heaven, we won't be married and given in marriage. We'll be like the angels. They're not married or given away in marriage. So he's talking about marriage, not our bodies. So we're not sure if angels really slept with women. Maybe uh, Jesus didn't say we have the bodies of angels. Now, as for the rest of this question, will there be sex in heaven? Will we have male and female attributes? They said, thanks. I almost said parts because I'm from the trailer park. Um, <laughs> uh, that, that, would, that would all be guessing, okay? The Bible is pretty much silent about what our new bodies will be like. The, the Bible only tells us one thing about our new bodies that they will live forever. And that's about all God felt like we needed to know at this time. So the rest would be fun to talk about, but we'd just be making things up, so we're not going to. Okay, let's continue on our tour of heaven. One of you asked this question. Very few words, ready? Jewels in heaven, are there different levels? Now, you might not know what they're talking about, but I knew what they're talking about immediately. I, I have heard this stuff before. And so my answer is, no, there are not different levels or different levels of reward in heaven. Now, let's bring everybody up to speed on what this person's asking. Um, I heard this first time a long time ago, so I thought it was kind of an old thing that there were d jewels and merit badges in heaven. But then somebody out in the lobby stopped me just uh, a couple of months ago and said exactly this, that there was different ranks in heaven. So this is still going on. And, and when I first heard it, I was in a small group. And somebody fired off a question to the small group leader about cheap grace. Here's what they said. They said, once Jesus saves me, why would I ever want to worry about all the stuff the church has us do? Read the Bible, prayer, tithing, serving the poor. Why would I bother with it? I got my heaven ticket. And the small group leader said, well, you've got eternal life, but you're also going to be given the crown of life. And the crown of life has room for jewels. And every good thing you do, you get extra jewels, you see. So the person goes, so I won't have as many jewels in my crown? They go, yeah, that's right. They go, I don't care. I've got eternal life. What do I care about? Who has the most rubies? Which I thought was a fine response to the question. Um, the other person who stopped me in the lobby said, now you said uh, that... Uh, Someone can follow Jesus and then become distracted, turn away, give that up, walk off. And I don't believe that. And I said, well, how do you account for all the scriptures where Jesus and the apostles say, don't turn away from your faith, don't go back to who you used to be, continue to cling to the truth. They said, well, because there's different ranks in heaven. Some people will go in as a general and some people will go in as a captain and some people will just go in as a buck private and be shining everybody's shoes. So that's why you should... 
it's okay, but it's not in the scripture. See, it's that, that, the rank thing is definitely not in the scripture. And the crown of life is mentioned only as you'll receive a crown of life with glittering jewels. It doesn't say like more jewels for those of you who do more merit badges. So none of this stuff is in scripture. I think what's happening is it's taking what is actually kind of a selfish, greedy question and just giving a selfish, greedy answer back. You know, someone says, after Jesus saves me, why would I ever want to do anything he says? And the answer back is, well, you know, you, you want some jewels and you don't want to end up shining shoes in heaven. You know what I mean? That's not what it's about. It's totally normal to think like this. I'm not putting anybody down who thinks like this. This is how we think, right? This is how the disciples thought, or at least their moms. You remember all the stories when the disciples' moms would pull Jesus aside and go, hey, when you come into your kingdom, make sure my boy or my boys sit at your right hand. Do you remember all the moms doing that in the gospel? This is how we think. I also sometimes think this might be the only way a church can get a congregation to do anything. Once they've sold them a phony gospel that all you have to do is pray one prayer and get baptized and then you can do what you want afterward and it doesn't matter anymore. If people are thinking about that, they think, well, after I did the altar call and I got baptized, can I just go home and catch up on football? So then the pastor has to invent these jewels and ranks and everything to kind of carrot and stick along everybody to keep showing up. But all that is not necessary if we can dispense with that there's levels in heaven and jewels and Boy Scout badges. And, and, and remember this, we serve Christ because he's our king. We serve Christ throughout our life and with our whole life out of gratitude, out of gratefulness for what he has done and continues to do for us. Not for rewards and not for privileges. That's why we used to do things. Now we don't. We do it out of gratefulness. That'd be a much better answer. Here's a question. In heaven, do you think we'll be limited to the new earth or will there be more freedom to explore the universe? This is a fun question. Right now, there are two things that are barriers to space exploration. One is that there's not enough promise of profit. You know, it takes a lot of money to get off the planet and then to go somewhere. And there's not enough promise that we'd bring back something valuable enough to make our money back. This is Columbus's problem when he wanted to explore. Um, and the other problem is we don't live long enough to get anywhere significant. See, at our fastest current technology, we are 19,000 years from the nearest star. And we don't even know if there's a planet there worth landing on. So we don't live long enough to get anywhere. But give us a kingdom where profit is not our primary motive. And our lifespan is infinite. Anything's possible. Yeah, we'll let that run a little bit. Space. The final frontier. Okay, we probably had enough. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. That was a very fun question. <laughs> question 18. How did Jesus define or describe hell and heaven? Is our understanding actually supported by the Bible? Thank you. Have you noticed that I've been a terrible tour guide ever since we got inside the gates? I couldn't tell you if there was sex in heaven. I couldn't tell you if we had boy or girl parts. I couldn't tell you really if we got to explore space. This is all this stuff I don't know. I'm, I'm really quite a terrible tour guide once we get inside the gates. 
And so the questioner wants to know, what did Jesus say about this? Maybe we ought to ask somebody who would know. And they're right. They're right. Um, So I'm going to take off the tour guide badge, and I'm going to put it here where it belongs. You know, Jesus never described to us what heaven or hell would be like. He never told us what it would look like or what it would feel like. He never told us what it would sound like or smell like. He never told us its location, its size, or even how long it would be till we could see it for ourselves. Jesus spent all his time talking about the character of these places, what they're about and who they're for. So why don't we let Jesus be our tour guide and let's end this series that way. So what I've done is I went through the four Gospels and I summarized every passage and every story where Jesus said anything about heaven or hell. So let's end with sitting back and letting the words of Jesus wash over us, albeit summarized through me. Every passage in the Gospels where he mentions heaven or hell. And here we go. Let's begin with Jesus giving us the tour of hell. If you call one of God's children a moron, he says, you are inching closer to the fires of hell. Hell is so horrible, you'd be better to pull out your wandering eye or cut off your thieving hand than to go there. Better to cut off the feet that carry you into sin than keep them and let them carry you into hell. Whatever we fear, we'd all be wiser to fear God more. He's the one who makes the call between heaven and hell. And the last thing Jesus said about hell, the highway to hell is broad and a lot of traffic goes that way. A lot of preachers and religious teachers are leading their flocks straight to hell with their graceless teaching that God makes out God to be as angry and judgmental as they are. But about heaven, he said, the highway to heaven can only be entered by a narrow gate and the powers of hell can never destroy that gate. Jesus describes heaven as a kingdom where God is king. He tells us it is near. He says it's the thing we need and we're blessed if we know that. It belongs to those who are persecuted for doing the right thing. There is greatness there for those who follow God's laws. Uptight religious leaders who are hung up on legalism won't be there. It's for people who have the strength to love their enemies. It's for those who did their good deeds quietly. It's a place where God's will is done, and our world should be more like that. It's filled with angels who watch over children, praise God, strengthen the weak, and will someday gather all the citizens of heaven from all over the world, though even the angels themselves don't know when they're going to be doing that. Jesus is in heaven now, seated at God's right hand. Jesus himself will be the stairway to heaven. It's a treasure trove. A treasure house where you reward for looking to the things of God instead of spending your time worrying about houses and clothing and eating out is waiting for you. When you give to the poor, your account in heaven grows. Some very religious people will be surprised when they aren't let in. And we'll all be surprised how many people from all over the world are there. It's for people who stand up and acknowledge God as their Lord when it could get you into trouble. Many of you are already citizens in the kingdom of heaven. It's the place where the most unnoticed person is considered greater than the greatest and most famous prophet. Heaven is coming to us forcefully, and some people are fighting to hold it back. It's filled with secrets not yet revealed to us. 
Heaven fights for our attention amid the hot winds of suffering. It fights for our attention amid the crows of Satan's lies. It fights for our attention amongst the thorns of our constant desire to be rich. Heaven is a tiny mustard seed of an idea that grows into a kingdom with room for everybody. It's a fishnet thrown over the world that will catch fish of every kind. It's like yeast in a lump of bread dough. It changes every part of the world into something beautiful and delicious, and you can't even see it working. The best bread comes from heaven. And Jesus is the bread from heaven. And anyone who eats this bread will never die. Heaven is a treasure hidden in a field. It's a priceless pearl. And if you have a chance at it, you should sell everything you have and get it. It's a purse that will never wear out and never get a hole in it. To have the keys to heaven, simply know that Christ is the son of the living God. It's not for the proud. It's for those who are as humble as children. The church is our link to heaven until he comes. Heaven is a bank canceling our debts and telling us to forgive others. Heaven is for children. Heaven is a place that's hard for rich people to enter because they're addicted to their stuff and the artificial security it creates. There's a burning fire and sulfur in heaven that waits to fall on the wicked. Heaven is open until the last of the forgotten have had a chance to enter. Heaven is a party, and everyone is invited, but astoundingly, not everyone wants to come. When a sinner turns their life around and shows up, that party blows up like a supernova. Some preachers try to slam the door of heaven in people's faces. But Jesus is coming again, and he's bringing heaven with him. Heaven is coming when we least expect it. So keep your lamp lit, and keep doing the good work God has given you to do. Its morning light is just about to break upon us. There is peace in heaven. And all truth comes from there. In fact, every good thing comes from there. No one has ever received anything good that wasn't shipped out of the warehouse in heaven. Heaven is built on the word of Christ. A foundation so strong, even if heaven could somehow be made to disappear, that foundation, the word of Christ, would never disappear. And that church is everything. Jesus said about hell and heaven. And this concludes our tour. Please remember everything you've seen here. Next time, invite a friend. We all know someone, a family member, a neighbor, who needs this just as much as we do. So go in peace. And don't forget to leave your tray up in your seat in the fully upright and locked position for the next passenger on the tour. Let us stand together. We'll recite the, together the foundation of both heaven and earth in this season to come. As we remember that I believe in God the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who is conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried he descended to the dead. On the third day, he rose again. He ascended into heaven. He is seated at the right hand of the Father, and he will come to judge the living and the dead. 
I believe in the Holy Spirit, one holy church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. May you go in peace.